0: I always tell my students at minimum, the absolute minimum, every day before you go into the gym, take five minutes and watch some like competition footage, some instructional something, just get some new information going into the back of your head at all times, right? Um, And then the second thing is a reflection period after sparring, right? So every time you spar and you have a hard class, You need to reflect afterwards and take notes about, okay, what was going bad, what was going good, figure those things out, and then make suggested solutions for those problems, right? This is actually the scientific method.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode number 13 of The Great Canadian BJJ Show. I'm joined by my friend, jiu-jitsu black belt and IBJJF world champion, John Thomas. We had a great conversation about how to master this thing called jiu-jitsu, talking about self-responsibility when it comes to your own training if you want to get to a high level, why specific training is important, the role your subconscious plays in rolling, even how jiu-jitsu kind of relates to ping pong. If you're interested in understanding jiu-jitsu on a deeper level, I really recommend John's videos that are available free on his YouTube channel. And he also has a new website, which is JohnThomasBJJ.com. That's JohnThomasBJJ.com. If you want more from me, follow me on Instagram at presleybjj. And I also now have a website. Visit presleybjj.teachable.com to see what I got available online. That's presleybjj.teachable.com. Now let's get into the show. Okay, so my guest today is my good friend. He's won the IBJJF Pan Ams and the IBJJF World Championships two times at Brown Belt. He runs a popular YouTube channel where he shares his conceptual training methods and his wisdom on the sport. John Thomas.
0: Hey, happy to be here. Good to hear from you, Josh. We go way back. I think, uh, when did we first start training together was it like 2009 or 10? Yeah, it would have been 2009. So, yeah, I went down with
1: a friend at the time, my friend John Gale, he was he was a purple belt and I was a blue belt. So, we the reason why we went to Atlanta, first we wanted to go to Brazil, but then we just figured it was just um, wasn't going to work out, so we picked Atlanta because Cobrinha was the the main yeah. the head instructor there at the time. So once we got there, we kind of got to meet the crew, and obviously uh, you were there, and you were going through a bit of a knee injury at the time. So I remember you weren't really doing a whole lot of rolling, but but definitely the oh, way I that you broke down that. techniques and like the and how you explain positions it definitely really stuck with me. I I didn't get to train with you the whole time, the whole we were down there for six weeks, but I think you went back to St. Louis or. Or something, but yeah, I definitely had an influence on my jiu-jitsu, and it was that was a cool experience.
0: Yeah, that was super fun times. Yeah, actually, it's funny. I remember I forgot about that knee injury, but it was uh, I had just won the Pan Am's and Worlds, and that whole season was finally over. And then some uh, beginner I used to sell memberships at the front desk at Alliance, and some beginner came in and wanted to try class out, and I rolled with him, and then he just went psycho spazzing, and I got to mount, and then he just like landed. It was like my foot got stuck under his back and he landed on it and just shredded my knee. So I lost like almost a year of training from that. And then after that, I moved to Washington, D.C. to work for a year before I quit my job to uh, go back to Atlanta to train.
1: Yeah, in- interesting times. It seems like uh, it was uh, almost like a lifetime ago, right? But, uh, but now it's, uh, it's awesome. We've, we've definitely had a good connection ever, ever since then. And yeah, uh, sure. yeah, I've just been into, uh, you know, the way that you explain things. I think people are really interested to hear from you. And I think, you know, a question I get a lot of the time, and I think I've, I've kind of heard you uh, touch on it before, but, but say, I, I think you can relate to a lot of the people that I train with, because I train in Halifax, it's quite a small city in comparison to mm-hmm. a lot of the lar- larger cities in the world. But you know, somebody like myself or my students, I guess, how would you how do you build a, a game? How do you become a high level jiu jitsu player? without say a, a high level coach or a world-class team say you say I'm a white belt or a blue belt. Like h- how do I get better at this? If I can't spend a bunch of money and go train with John Danaher, what do I do?
0: Okay. Awesome question. Um, I mean, I would say the first thing is you're going to have to have a lot of self responsibility for driving your own development. Um, and then even in answering this question, I think the particulars will matter. So, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to train at, uh, you know, Otto's HQ or some major gym, but you need like a few core training partners. Right. So, um, I would say, uh, I'm trying to think where to start with this uh, question. So the main thing is that you need to be competing to get a, like feedback on your progress. Right. So if you're just training in the gym and like, presumably like you could be, it depends on what belt level you are and stuff. Like, let's say you're like a blue belt. Right. But then like, you know, you have a black belt in your gym, but then like you're kind of the best student. There's not that many other serious competitive blue belts. Uh, It's very hard to get good without competing in that context because, you know, say no one in your gym even plays Worm Guard, but you know when you compete, you're going to get exposed to Worm Guard. Okay. So, or no one in your gym does Baron Bolo, but then, you know, when you compete, you're going to have to do Baron Bolo. So the hard part there is that you have to prepare for these things that you're going to encounter in competition and no one in your gym does it. So I would say set it, starting off by setting up a consistent competition habit, uh, not because that inherently is going to make you better, but it's going to be the ultimate like test on how your progress is. And then as you compete, that's going to be exposing to you a lot of the holes in your game. Right. So, uh, if you're in the gym, you may be dominating everyone and be like, man, I'm awesome. Like you, you don't even know where you're weak because you're not getting exposed. Right. So having a consistent habit of competing every few months at least or something is going to expose you to the problems. And Now, as the problems arise, then we can start tackling how to solve those. Uh, I would say certainly when you're training in a small gym, one of the most important things is utilizing specific training a lot, right? Because it may be, and I spent a lot of my, I started in a very small gym in St. Louis, Missouri, and I won the Pan Ams at Blue Belt when I trained there. Um, You know, in a lot of my career, I did a lot of my own training. So to prepare to fight someone that does stuff that no one in your gym does, you often have to do specific training. So for example, let's say no one in your gym does worm guard. If you're in a normal role in the gym, okay, so, so the importance of specific training is that even though your partner may not know how to play worm guard or something, you can get a partner and have him start in the position on you, even if he doesn't know how to use it. If you do, most guys, even though they don't know how to use the system, if you at least start them in the grip and give them a basic idea on what to do, uh, they can just at least hold and be annoying. And it's going to start giving you feedback on where you're weak and what you don't understand. So I would say that, um, you know, uh, competing and then from your failures in competition, uh, using that as a catalyst to realize what things you need to target, right? And then using a lot of specific training to try to patch those problem areas, as well as a lot of competition footage. Like using video effectively is like, you know, I talk about this all the time, but it is one of the most important things in jujitsu, right? So uh, ultimately your game is like a combination of your strength, your cardio, your technique. And by technique, I mean like your pattern recognition ability to perform these moves under pressure. Um, and uh, your mental toughness say, or your flexibility, right? It's like, those are your attributes, okay? So, you know, conditioning, you can only go so far and a lot of people are on performance enhancers, so you can't expect to win purely with conditioning, right? So that means that the most important thing that you can, of course you can work on your flexibility and that's super important to work on, but the thing that you will ultimately have the most control over will be your technical development, okay? And your technical development is largely a mental thing all of the hard training that we do physically uh, is being done. Of course it gets you in shape, but really I view it as just like labor to discover techniques, right? So, you know, if I come into class and I've never trained before and there's a world-class black belt there, he can teach me how to do an arm bar and I learned that in the first day, right? But if no one was there to teach you, you might spar psychotically going crazy every round and it may take you a year to accidentally discover an arm bar for yourself, right? You know what I mean? Or an omoplata. It may take a year for you to stumble across the idea of an omoplata, right? But someone who already did that for you can save you a ton of time, right? Now, uh, you know, in this day and age, we have so much uh, access to information digitally, right? So if if people who really want to excel, they cannot view it like they just show up to the gym and train. They need to be consistently uh, taking in uh, content from competition footage. If there's an online instructor that you think makes good content online, uh, those are great sources. So, uh, be using that stuff so that like, as part of your training schedule, your daily, I always tell my students at minimum, the absolute minimum every day, before you go into the gym, take five minutes and watch some like competition footage, some instructional something, just get some new information going into the back of your head at all times. Right. Um, and then the second thing is, or reflection period after sparring, right? So every time you spar and you have a hard class, you need to reflect afterwards and take notes about, okay, what was going bad, what was going good, figure those things out, and then make suggested solutions for those problems, right? This is actually the scientific method. So like if I'm rolling in call, like doing specific training in collar sleeve or something, I might spar from there. And then like, you know, the guy's giving me a hard time or he kind of angles his knee in a weird way and it's giving me a hard time. So I'll kind of think for a second, I'll go, well, maybe if I was able to keep my foot here, that would give him a hard time. Let me test that. Okay, that didn't work. Hmm, let me try this. you know. And I'm constantly doing this kind of like scientific method, trial and error thing with a specific training. Um, And then like, you know, that reflection period at the end of the day allows you to take in all this stuff. But I see a lot of people, they learn content they, uh, or they like watch content, they come in, they train hard, but they don't spend a ton of time in that reflection period. So if you don't have a ton of time in that reflection period, you're not going to be as aware of what's giving you a hard time. If you spend a lot of time in the reflection period, then when you're watching competition video next time, or you're in class next time, you will actually pay attention to things, uh, that you maybe wouldn't have because you had reflected on it. So, um, I think that's the main pattern. It's, Compete regularly so you're getting exposed to things that aren't, aren't happening inside your gym. Uh, inside of your gym, be using specific training to try to target those things beyond what normal uh, training partners in the gym might not be doing so you can target weaknesses that you normally wouldn't get exposed to. Uh, be using uh, all the tools you have online with online instructionals, uh, watching competition footage, um, and, use, and having a reflection period. OK, always at the end of class, have a reflection period on what went right, what went wrong in your training to postulate new theories and ideas, things like that. Um, if I was going to say one more thing, this is a little bit more advanced, but I, I think it applies for everyone is uh, try to be open minded, because often people watch instructionals or they learn a technique from a coach or something like that, and they get very stifled in the way they see things. So they'll be like, oh, this is how you do the position. And then when they're rolling, it's like they're trying to force a square peg into a round hole. And you have to understand that um, what you, if you learn uh, content from someone online, there's always a disconnect between what the coach is saying and what you're interpreting. They could either speak poorly, you could interpret differently, or they could even be um, just incorrect on what they're saying, right? So try to take everything you learn as like 80% true right? But always leave a little wiggle room. Even anything I show, if I go back and look at the way I did things a year ago, it's always different. It's not that... Uh, What I did before was wrong. That was a workable system, but I have evolved beyond it. So understand that whatever view you have of how positions work right now will probably always be changing. And I think that's important to mention. So always be trying to learn, always be trying to evolve, but try not to always lock yourself down to these hard laws that you think that you understand, because often when people get so attached to those understandings, it inhibits their own progress because they're so attached to my foot always has to be here. It's like, maybe it doesn't, you know, so. That's kind of a, that's more of an advanced thing. I think in the beginning, it's more people need to need to become more systemized, but I see people in that mid level trying to get to the top level. They get so systemized that it stifles them from progress End oh. rant. Sorry. <laughs> no, I
1: love it, man. That's awesome. You covered a lot of good stuff there. What you were talking about, open-mindedness, I really, what kind of uh, the example that came to mind was I was teaching an arm drag the other day. And I mean, you know, there's many different ways you can do the arm drag, different grips that you can take, but people can often be closed-minded and that they're like well do you hold the wrist like this or like that like is it like am I doing it wrong it's like sometimes there's not really a right or a wrong way it's just like variations on how to do it but people just get so like tunnel vision and like this is the correct way because this black belt showed it to me so there can't be any variation but but I I definitely I definitely see that in classes a lot and I like what you said too about you know self-responsibility one of the reasons why I like got interested in jiu-jitsu is because i used to watch people like damian maya who to me seemed like he was just like a skinny guy that didn't really have any athleticism but he got to like an incredible level in jiu-jitsu where he won multiple world championships everyone knows him he's in the ufc so it seemed to me like like i could kind of be as good as i want to be in this sport depending on how much effort i want to put into it i could just be get my blue belt and be happy with that or i took it in the the mind frame that it's like okay i can actually be a a world championship black belt because i've seen this guy do it like i feel like i could lift heavier weight or run, run faster than Damian maya you know yeah so um so yeah i think that's uh that's a great point and also watching tape like i'm just so huge on that i feel like any other form of like video like movies and tv i just i just can't be bothered to watch anything if it's not jiu-jitsu and it's like the video does not lie if you record yourself sparring like there's definitely everyone's had moments where they think the role was going this way but then they watched on video and they're like oh that's that's not what I felt was was happening in the moment so that's that's definitely how I've improved I think the most is watching myself as a white belt and a blue belt and then watching people like Cobrinha and other high level people and just like you said it kind of just puts it in the back of your mind where it's like maybe you're not going to know how to do the techniques that de- they're doing on the video but you're going to pick up some of their movements some of what they're doing and it, it i think it just translates like your your mind just kind of knows what to do when you're in the heat of battle yeah so I, I thought mean, that
0: was all great stuff there is a huge aspect of like subconscious learning like i think this is a huge sticking point for people who are like i have a degree in mathematics and i took a ton of engineering courses as well um and like a lot of people who are really analytical actually struggle with jujitsu because they want their, like, uh, like conscious, uh, like, logical brain to comprehend everything that's happening. And for sure, that's a huge asset in jiu-jitsu in helping you analyze what's wrong and, and kind of changing the deeper framework of your understanding. But there's also a lot of subconscious going on as well, right? So, like, if you were to play ping pong, you can't, like, when you're playing ping pong, you're not, like, calculating, okay, well, the ball's going at this speed and this angle, therefore, if my wrist turns at this flexion, like, like you're not, you just do it. It's innate. It's you just react. Innate. Yeah. You have to react. Right. Um, and the thing is like when people are rolling, if you're actually trying to perform in a match, not like studying where you're like drilling and you can think, but like, if you're actually rolling under high pace, right. You cannot be active with your logical brain in that sense. You can't be like going into deep thought. And I'll see that on my students, right. Where like, I'll see if I put the guys to do shark tank, what I'm trying to do with a shark tank is I'm trying to break the thinking out of them in a certain way, because I can see they're rolling and I see like they get into a position or a situation and I see their brain just like stall. And then it's like, they start kind of like, uh, what do I do now? Uh, uh. And then I'm just like, go, 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 move move, move. You know? And it's just like, I don't care what they do. I just want them to fucking move, just move, move, move. Right? Because they have to, uh, uh, right? They have to just make something happen, right? And, uh, that's where, and the thing is the techniques only work at full force, right? So the issue is that even if someone was, uh, going to come to the correct answer with their logical thinking, if they do it at 60% force, it's like trying to jump in slow motion. You can do it technically correct, but if you don't apply enough force, jumping won't happen. You have to use a certain amount of like entry force to, to lift off. Right. So, Uh, what happens is these people, they, even if they won't even know if their ideas are correct because they can't do it. Whereas on the other end, if you just go psycho fast and move, 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 you will actually do things. A lot of times you're going to do things that are dumb and erratic and stupid, but your subconscious will actually get rid of those movement patterns over time and keep the ones that stay. Like I was training with Espen, uh, when I was in Norway. And we were doing this uh, drill where we do like sweep pass, sweep, pass when we trade. And he kept doing this thing where he would like stomp on one of my legs, to try to set up a pass. Right. And he kept doing it. And like, I didn't really pay attention to it, but one day we were training and then he kept trying to do it. And then my knee just kept uh, dodging it. Like almost like a, like a slipping a punch or something. Right. But I didn't put any thought into like, oh, I need to work on it. It was just my subconscious brain was just like, just learned that pattern of dodging. OK, so um, when you understand that there's going to be a lot of subconscious development, uh, what you're actually trying to do when you watch video uh, or. Um, well, the two ideas here. One, one thing that happens when you watch video uh, outside of all the logical understandings you make where you're like, oh, he's grabbing the sleeve that way. That's interesting. Outside of all of those kind of logical things, just your like subconscious brain, it's like monkey see monkey do will literally pick up things you're not actually aware of. Okay. And then when you're rolling, you'll get put in a position and you'll instinctually you'll just, be, oh, there is that thing there. And then you'll just do it. Right. So there's a huge benefit of that. Right. And then I would say from the logical, like conscious por- portion, um, if you just, ch- if you study a lot and you pay attention to grips and you understand jujitsu deeply, I kind of feel like what it does is it changes the framework of your subconscious so that when I'm rolling the likelihood that the choice, that, um, that the choice I make will be good goes up. So maybe another way to explain this is like, this is really like, like meditation kind of stuff. So it's a little bit out there, but uh, it, it uh, just hear me out here. Um, like if I use the example, like think of a country, right? You know, you'll name one. I don't know. Just name a country. Norway. Norway. Okay. So it's like, you didn't think of Mongolia, right? So did you really have the choice of Mongolia, right? Did it even pop up in your head? No. So it's like, you, why didn't you think of Mongolia? It was like, the only thing that really appeared to you, was, was Norway, just for whatever reason, it appeared out of thin air, right? And in the same way, when you're rolling, your next move is kind of the same way. Like I can roll and like almost from like a third part, like almost zoom out of my body and kind of see it from an outside perspective, it's like, I'm there, I have no idea how I know what to do next. I do because I've been training 20 years and my I just know so much Jiu Jitsu, but really it's mind blowing to me that no matter what the person does, I'm like, oh, I know what to do here. Oh, I know what to do here. And it's like, I could just watch it from like a third party perspective and see I'm doing that, right? But the thing is that the actually a white belt rolling or me rolling is the same thing. They're just sitting there, the person does something and they respond to that stimulus with a response. Someone who's been training 20 20 years tends to have good responses. Someone who doesn't, uh, doesn't, right? But what happens is like, the more you deeply understand jujitsu, the more you study and the more you're in that, it's like your subconscious gets better. So I think that one thing that gives people a lot of stress when they're rolling is they're trying to perform better than they are. So it's like, they want to have a good thought next. So like, I want to make the best move. But if you forget that and you just try to be present to the moment and observe what your opponent is doing, then the right choices will come out of you. And if they don't, then at least when you're observing, you see what the problem is, you reflect on it, it will change your deeper understanding and make you make better choices in the future. That's very abstract, but I hope it made sense.
1: Yeah, no, I totally get it. It's um, It kind of uh, made me think of a quote too from Ryan Hall that I heard in an interview before. Or maybe it was on his instructional, but he was, he, basically said, you know, like good jujitsu is often like very patient and slow and boring. Like if things get exciting, that's not really my intention, but sometimes it happens. It's just like, you just always have to make the correct decision.
0: Yes, and it reminded 100%. me of like a,
1: a, a private that I did actually the other day with uh, with a guy that he's, he's trained for. You know, roughly like maybe a month or two, but he's still he's still quite quite new, and he gave actually a really good example of uh, because I was like, man, you know the positions, but it's just like you need the the time in them because it's like you're not going to be able to make the correct decisions until you have hours and hours in these positions, and he's like he's like it's almost like I have like the right computer, but the wrong software, like my software is really slow. It's like, yeah, that's kind of a good example. It's like you always need to kind of upgrade the software. Like things come out like heel hooks and leg attacks and worm guard. It's like, okay, it's time to upgrade the software again, because if you don't, someone out, someone is out there putting in a lot of hours in these positions. And if you run into them, you're not going to have a clue what to do. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And it's just like, and it's always changing. So you always just have to keep learning and evolving. And I think like another thing is that for each person, what you need to work on is very different from like a, a mental standpoint. Like some people, um, they, they're not inhibited. They just move. Right. And usually with those people, I need to get them to do more specific training um, and get them to become a little more analytical to think like, okay, well, if this happened, what could you do? And make them actually start understanding jujitsu better. Cause some people just go psycho the whole time and they can actually do well, but then they tend to stagnate at like the mid to high level because they can't crack Through that, because they don't have the analytical portion to actually diagnose what's going wrong with their game. Um, And then the reverse of that is guys who have a lot of analysis paralysis. And I actually think they struggle more at the beginner to intermediate level, but then they do better going intermediate to super advanced, right? Because going from beginner to intermediate analysis paralysis. It's like you'll come in and like you learn an armbar and you want to do it perfectly, so you're trying to be a good student, doing everything technical, and like you're so in your head, you freeze, and then this other guy who's like you know a Neanderthal just goes ah! right. But at least he's not inhibited. So he'll tend to actually make pretty decent choices or better than freezing and actually do well against people in the beginning because he's uninhibited. But then he'll plateau at like mid to high level because he doesn't know how to actually troubleshoot issues. Whereas the other guy has a harder time in the beginning. But once he gets through that and he learns how to manage his analysis paralysis, then he can really excel. And I think like for people with a lot of analysis paralysis, I like shark tanks with everyone screaming at them, forcing them to just move. Like never stop moving. Just go, 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 go. And they just have to start acting. I like that for the them. For the people that are the other way, I like specific training with reflection after each sequence.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's all great. And even, um, I mean, we were talking about learning and evolving. It's even discussions that we've had before, you know, technical training versus hard training. And I, I know you you definitely grew up and came up in the same type of environment. But I honestly find even myself, like even, even today, even this morning. So today is usually like my off day. But I woke up, I always wake up early but i'm like i woke up i'm like i'm like i should go for a run like i should i should do some cardio and like push myself and that's i feel like that just comes from the environment of like always like don't miss the class like always show up yeah. always roll hard but i mean we've talked a lot of times about technical training versus hard training and how sometimes it's actually much more beneficial to take an hour that that you would have used to to go for a run and instead either watch matches or just reflect on your training from the previous day, or it it could be anything, but just like using your brain versus just using your body. Cause when I sit and think about it for five minutes, I'm like, I'm like, no, my cardio is fine. Like I don't need to work on my cardio. It's just, I'm stuck in this mentality of like, you always got to train hard and it's like, it's a struggle to to break out of it. But I think it's important for people to know that it's not just about hard training. That
0: reflection is so important. Absolutely. I, I mean, the thing is like, people, what people always want is like, what's the perfect schedule? Like if I just had this one schedule and I follow, like you do this four days a week and then you do this and then you do that and you're going to be a champion. It's like, it's just like everything. It's not like that. It's individualistic. Right. So like for one person, they like, they may get more payoff by like backing off the volume of their jujitsu for a few months and, and like doing more technical work and trying to get a lot stronger by doing heavy lifting right. And really preparing their body for the workload of high intensity, hard training for someone else that who like came in as a power lifter, they would probably benefit by just like cutting their strength training a little bit, doing more high volume jujitsu and maybe some mobility work, right. Uh, Someone else might be like injured, right. And like they're injured. So, you know, it's hard to go crazy hard, but you could still get some meaningful work. You might be able to go into the gym and do two hours starting from close guard, or in some position that doesn't aggravate your injury and do specific training there for two hours and get a lot of functional, useful training in, right? Someone else may be that like their work schedule, you know, doesn't work out with everyone else's schedule. So they can't make it to the class where everyone goes hard. So maybe they have to like run stairs, you know, to get their cardio in. And then, so it's like, you're going to have to look at your own life, your own weaknesses, even your own passions, like, like you have to look at like, what kind of training do you enjoy? Some people enjoy doing like really hard shark tanks every day. And like, if you really enjoy that and it's consistent for you, that's great. Right. But if like you start to resent it, or you feel like your body's breaking down and you don't, and you hate training, well, that's probably not right for you. So you need to find some optimization between reality. Like you all, again, that's why you have to do the competing. Uh, that's why you need the competition. It's the final feedback to tell you whether it's working or not, but you have to find that own individualistic balance for you. Right. And that's even why, like when people ask me, like, what's the best guard to learn? It's like, I can tell you, okay, well, objectively, I think this will have a good payoff, but if you find it really boring, it may not be the right one for you right now. Right. So I think, again, everyone has to do a lot of self-reflection. They have to look at like, what their goals are. They have to listen to a lot of different people giving different perspective information information and develop their own understanding of like a model that will work for them. So what I'm giving, like what I'm trying to do in this conversation is give a lot of ideas to consider when making your own schedule, but you know, you kind of have to put the pieces together. I mean, I would say the main pieces are like, you know, you need to be pushing hard a couple times a week, at least, where you're really pushing your cardio hard in some form of shark tank or high-intensity training. You probably need to have two or three sessions a week at least where you're doing very specific technical work. Um, You certainly should be watching video at least three or four times a week, if not every day, if you can. It depends on your goals. Um, And then you need to seriously look at your strength and mobility and see where you're weak and try to seek out experts on those topics and just try to figure out where you need to balance. But, you know, I'm trying to throw a lot of different things to consider but people need to be building their own schedules
1: no i think it's it's great man and i think a lot of people you know just some some of the stuff they just uh they haven't thought of before so you know new new ideas i think are great And i think people will definitely get a lot out of it just kind of going back to like the pattern recognition because i feel like that's something i've hit on in a lot of classes recently with my own students about how it's just it's such a big thing in jiu-jitsu i'm sure everyone's <laughs> experienced rolling with someone that has one or two moves or one or two kind of movement patterns that they see them use over and over and over again. And there they'll even be people that I roll with that maybe they'll use the same move starting out. And I counter it the same way every single time, but it's almost like they don't, they don't realize they're being stuck in these same sort of movement patterns. Sometimes I can even notice it with myself watching on video. Like you can almost know what you're going to do before you do it. What do you think is yeah. the best way to kind of break out of these kind of old habits
0: and these old movement patterns? um <clears throat> a couple ways uh one thing i really like to do that I picked up while i was training in norway with uh, tommy and espen a lot uh is like espen just referred to it as like um resistance drilling but i i feel like maybe there's a better word for it but it's it's basically like a uh drill that we do where uh i'm gonna sweep my opponent and then pass him once and then it's his turn and he's gonna sweep me and pass me once and then we just alternate doing that okay um, now the thing when you do that is that the person who's like, if you're, if it's your turn to sweep me, uh, I'm allowed to resist, but ultimately you're going to win. Okay. Um, and what that does is it makes it easier for both people. Cause you know, who's going to win. It gets around the issue of the ego, right? So it's like this form of like, I know I talked about this with Connor DeAngelis, um, like designing training that allows you to drop the ego is really good because of course it's best that everyone just doesn't have an ego but realistically people have egos let's just be honest right Every, if you're training with cobrina in the gym you pass this guard he's going to be upset and want to go really hard so yeah. people everyone has an ego so designing smart training protocols that allow you to train in such a way that both people's egos are relatively unchallenged is a great format of training because you can really push the intensity well sometimes when there's ego involved you, you, if I tell two guys to treat it like it's the finals of worlds and fight, they, you would think that means go super hard, but actually, one guy might go to close guard, never open it the whole time because he feels really safe. Right? right. And that doesn't make you improve much. Right. So, d- designing these trainings to actually push people to open their game is what you want. Right. So, when you do the resistance training, you know, we do the sweep pass thing. So, let's say it's your turn to sweep me. Okay. If it's your turn to sweep me, I'm allowed to resist. Okay. But you're still ultimately going to win. And because I know that you're going to win, there's no pressure on me to feel like it, my ego hurt if I lose. Okay. So then but yeah, I'm, I'm going to lose anyway. So I'm like, Oh, I'm going to try to pass. I'll just do whatever. And if I'm going to lose anyway, a lot of times I'll try different stuff. I'm like, Oh, normally I don't left leg lead screw it. I'm just going to try to pass with my left leg forward and see what happens. And I'll try a lot of abstract stuff I don't normally do. And then I'll still try to pass you. But if I start to get in on the pass a little bit, at some point, I'll just kind of back it off if I think I was going to actually get it, right? And what will happen is you'll be shocked that you start doing things you would normally never do because you're going to lose anyway. Who cares, right? That sometimes you're like, oh, man, this is actually working pretty good. And then eventually maybe your opponent starts to get in on a good attack on you. And it's like, oh, well, I was going to lose anyway. Who cares? And you, you, know, you let him finish the sweep or the submission or whatever, right? And that format, it, there's kind of a skill to it. You learn to do it well. But when you really do it well, you can go super, super hard with it. I mean... When I was training with Espen, sometimes it would be like his turn to pass, right? And then I would just go, like, okay, well, I'm just going to try to kill him as hard as I can anyway, right? He doesn't know that. It's his turn to pass me, but I would just actually try to kill him, right? And then he'd actually get into a pass position and then pass me, right? But then, like, I, my ego isn't like, oh, well, whatever, because it's like, he's like, oh, well, John just let me pass. It's like, no, I didn't. You actually passed me, right? But, like, both people kind of relax their egos. So then you can kind of get into a flow when doing that, where we could just go for an hour straight going extremely hard. And then the ego just completely disintegrates. And then you're just rolling and getting all of this pattern recognition development. And it's way easier to kind of like disintegrate your, uh, your kind of structures for how you see positions and patterns when you do that. And I would say that's like the, uh, like other side of the coin of specific training. Specific training is amazing for understanding an individual position and like structuring, systemizing, and and understanding, right? And then the resistance training is like amazing for allowing you to learn to connect, transition, and unlock new things. And I think you really need both of them. When I trained with Espen, I found that he wanted to do the specific training like I do all the time because that was relatively new to him. And he really liked how much he learned from doing that. And then I got to the point where all I wanted to do was the resistance training because that was relatively new to me. And we found that just mixing the two is like the best.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I think you hit on a lot of good stuff there, like dropping the ego. It's it's so true. Like, you know, it's just like the classic quote in jiu-jitsu, like, no, no, like jiu-jitsu, once you train jiu-jitsu, you don't have an ego anymore. And it's just like, it's just so Bullshit. not true, right? Like it's just your ego, like it, it actually is It's going to make you good because you need that like to push you and be like, no, I got to come back tomorrow and I got to do better. But it's yep. true, you'll, you'll get to a certain point where it becomes harmful again, like you kind of, dr- you need to drop it at the start when you're getting your butt kicked as a white belt, and then yep. you kind of need it to kind of push you that step further as a blue belt and a purple belt. And I, I don't know if it's much of a thing for, um, for students developing nowadays, but I feel like it's definitely ingrained in me, and I'm sure in you that if we're in a role like, like I would rather die than let you pass my guard. Right. Like, it's like, that yeah. was a big thing I found, like, especially being a smaller guy. It's like, if it's, it's almost shameful. Like, Oh, you got your guard passed and I'll see people in the gym. It's, e- it's even happened to me. Like uh, there was a, a young guy that uh, passed my guard the other day when we were just doing some grass training and he was like, like celebrating it. And I just kind of laughed. It's just like, you know, that's just one small piece of the puzzle. But if you have to, you have to break it out into a into, uh, specific training like that, because I found for myself, Like I was obviously I'm usually higher ranked than most of the people that I roll with. So I just get to be on offense most of the time. But I got to a point where I was like, man, I don't feel very confident like escaping side control or escaping back or escaping Mount because no one is able to put me in those positions. So I had to go back and then relearn a lot of side control escapes, just basic stuff. And then, did like a week or two or maybe even a month of like side control specific training. And now I'm to the point where I'm like, if I don't care who's got me in inside control, like I'm confident I'm going to be able to escape. Right. So I think that yeah. that specific training is just so important. If you don't spend time in those positions, you're not going to be able to learn it.
0: I think a hundred percent. And I think like, like a lot of people, I think they kind of view jujitsu as there's like, like one format of training. It's like, you come in and you roll. Right. But it's like realistically, you need different modalities of training, right? Like I utilize specific training right? And even within specific training, there's multiple kinds of specific training. You can do specific training where it's like, okay, I start in close guard. I try to open it. You try to sweep or submit. And there's no conversation. And we just do that over and over and over, like almost like a sparring match, right? And in that case, ego gets more involved, right? And that's good too. That's a good type of training. Uh, But sometimes I do it where there's conversation involved. We might start in the position and I go, okay, try to pass. And then the guy starts trying. And then when I feel like there's something that's kind of confusing, I'm like, stop, freeze, go here again. Can you do that again? Okay. Slow motion. All right, go, go back, rewind, freeze, do it again. You know, and then I kind of like, how's this feel? How's this feel? And it's like interactive, right? That's not going to push my cardio, but it's going to make me really understand what's going on, right? And that has its place, right? And then the resistance training, like I described before, it has its place. It allows you to push your cardio a lot, be more creative, learn how to transition, right? And then Shark Tank has its place because Shark Tank is the time to have that, like someone's trying to pass your yard and you're like, go, 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 go. You know, but if you do that the whole session, you're probably not going to want to train because it's just too much. And then like you might get injured and you don't necessarily feel like your understanding is good. So you need to mix all of those things together and figure out what's going to work best for you. One other thing I would say that helps a lot is I think really creating a gym environment around the idea that this is just training. Okay. Because I think when the gym environment gets really focused on like, who's the guy who's winning right now, like who's the winner and stuff, then people start to get scared in training because there's this like pressure around, you can say, I'm not going to have an ego, but if the culture around the gym is that it's all about who's winning every time, then like, you're going to feel the judgment of everyone else. You know what I mean? So that makes it easier for you to have the ego. But if the situation is like, hey, dude, I I was listening to Dan or her talk about this the other day with Gary Tonin, and he was saying, like, Gary in the gym, people, like, beat him or whatever. And then they're like, oh, I did good with Gary. And he's like, this is just training, right? Like, you have to understand that. And I think it's important that uh, a gym try to set the culture of everyone understanding this is just training. It doesn't mean anything. Because when you get that, then people feel more comfortable to lose and try different things and open up. But when it's so stressed about winning, then no one wants to open up.
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it's, it's, it's the environment that's, that's going to change that for sure. And that when you were talking about the kind of the interactive start, stop drilling, it kind of reminded me of, um, people might not know, but you actually came uh, up here to Nova Scotia for a seminar yeah. a year or two after uh, I had met you. And I can remember we were just doing exactly that, that kind of start, stop drilling. We were just at my house eating pizza yeah. watching dave Chappelle or something you're like you're like yeah. wait a second you like had this idea and like so we were trying to do this drill or some some open guard specific situation but but no it's it's just totally true it's just like it's just it's so addictive you just you just have it on your brain all the time if you get to yeah enjoy I mean, it like you or me you know
0: you know i like i remember when you first came to uh atlanta you know i've trained with a lot of uh people around the world and almost always like uh for those of you that don't know like josh took second at worlds you had like a really really close match with michael liere at like the blue belt finals they get still online it was a super good fight um and you know you were beating a lot of the top guys in atlanta at your belt level at the time and you trained in a small gym in nova scotia and it's because like you you had the same mindset of like taking self-responsibility and thinking about it and self-reflecting and like everyone i've ever met who's really good at Jiu Jitsu they have that like even when you think of like autos hq right it's like almost everyone at autos hq is from another gym like Andres was like from some small gym in ohio and then he moved to lloyds and ended up moving to autos now he's at keenan's keenan started in hawaii then he moved to lloyds right like andy murasaki i think he started in japan and then he was maybe in Brazil and then Cayo Terra's and he was at Otto, you know, but all of them have the same thing. They have that self-driven drive, like Espen, Matisse, and Tommy, they trained out in the middle of nowhere. They visited AOJ for a bit, but largely they just drove themselves to study and learn and get better. So the big thing is like not looking for someone to be like, this is how you do it. It's just understanding you have to take self-responsibility and you will find a way if you're driven.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. Like it's just, you just have to be motivated. And like you said, you just got to find out what is it that motivates you find the type of training that you enjoy. If you enjoy the hard training, great. If you only like training hard once or twice a week, you, you just, you really got to figure it out. Like there's, there's a way that you can do it. And though you can be, I really believe you can be as good as you want to be in this sport. You just got to figure it out. You got to figure out what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And you just got to build, build a game plan for it and build, build good training uh, programs. A hundred percent. So uh, one, one other thing I'd like to ask you about too, is just, just, competing like i obviously i'm training a lot of people that are you know they're might maybe getting into their first or second competition people often always have questions about competing like it, obviously everyone wants to do well in competition and everyone wants to win the gold i always build, viewed competition as like a great way to kind of you know see where i'm at we've kind of touched on it before yeah. it's like there's the video doesn't lie if i go out there and i'm fighting someone tough on my level and i lose the tough part I find with competition is just like the emotional impact of it. Like everyone often feels a lot of pressure and they want to win and it can, it can, it can be, it can feel heartbreaking when you lose. So what, what advice would you have for people, especially as they're, you know, they're getting in their first, like, you know, five to 10 competition matches, they're feeling the pressure. They don't want to let their teammates down. What advice do you give people that are starting out in competition?
0: Well, I mean, honestly, my, uh, my advice for competing is always pretty short. It's like, well, first off, you shouldn't care about like, I don't want to let my teammates down. That's just, you know, I, 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 it's a valid emotion, but it's, a, it's not a reasonable thought, right? You're as good as you are. You shouldn't want to perform better than you are to make other people happy. And there's not a damn thing you can do to do that. So I always say like, you can like think yourself into being less good than you are, but you can't think yourself into being better than you are, right? So I always tell people like, First off, accept the nerves, that's normal. Like everyone gets like nervous before they fight. Like Michelle Lange, who like closed out the worlds with me in 2009 and 11, um, you know, he was like a terror. He like subbed everyone's Michael Lange's brother. You know, he used to get so scared before every single match, Michael would come up to me like, can you calm Michelle down? He's really scared. And like, he just murder everyone, you know? He was so good, but he was always terrified before he fights, but he still killed everyone, right? And when you understand that being scared doesn't mean that you're going to perform bad, right? Yes. You can have the most negative thoughts in your head and still go kick ass, right? And I know that sounds kind of like, you uh, know, because people like the ideas of like positive affirmations and stuff like that. But for me personally, I find those things to be more stress inducing because then when you get nervous, you think that the nerves is an indicator that something's wrong, like you're not ready or whatever. And then you're like, what am I, what am I supposed to do so that I don't have this? Like I need to be doing, Oh my God, I'm not doing affirmations. I'm going to lose if I'm not doing affirmations. And then that stresses you more because you feel as if there's things that you need to be doing to be prepared when you understand, like on tournament day, like just tell yourself everything that I have is inside me. That's it, right? If you don't win, you shouldn't win. You're not good enough yet. Or you just had a bad luck, who cares? That's not on you, right? Just be there and compete, just show up and train. And just treat it like rolling in the gym and just roll, right? And then, what you know, afterwards, if you lose, you reflect and you go, What went wrong? Oh, I pulled guard poorly. Maybe I could work on that. And then you use that as things to work on in the gym, but that's it. It shouldn't be like there's something you got to think or you shouldn't feel nervous. Just accept the nerves and be like, This is totally fine. And be cool with being nervous. And, and just fight. And then if you lose, you lose. And it doesn't mean anything. You can be even way better than someone and something unfortunate can happen. That happens all the time, too. So, you know, I think that mindset actually will calm people more when you it's like an anxiety effect. If you try to be like, oh, why am I having anxiety? I don't want to be having anxiety? That's going to make the anxiety. But if you just accept, oh, it's just a little bit of anxiety. It's a little bit of stress. That's fine. Then you just accept it and it actually dissipates it. Yeah, no, I think that's great,
1: and. The story, the experience that I had that it definitely uh, was true to this was I traveled to compete just in one match in a super fight. So I was going from Nova Scotia to Ontario. It was like a five or six hour flight. We left the same morning of the event and literally everything went wrong that could have went wrong. The flight got canceled once. It got canceled again. We waited in the airport the whole day. I didn't get to land until an hour before the event. Like I was tired and and just frustrated from this whole experience of waiting in the airport all day but then, once I actually got to the event and I was kind of like just going through my warm up like I just kind of had this thought that it's like you know like whatever happened doesn't matter you know whatever happened today it doesn't matter that I had a bad day it doesn't matter that I had a horrible time getting here it doesn't matter the day my opponent had like all that matters is when you slap hands is just your skills on the mat and it's it it shouldn't you shouldn't have this other thoughts in your mind of like oh no like my my girlfriend's mad at me I'm oh no what am I going to do it's just like you just have to really be in the moment and just focus on the task hand which is this guy trying to be in jiu-jitsu so it just kind of comes down to the skills that you have at the moment i think that's uh that's really good advice yeah 100 percent. so i'm um, just wrapping up i just got a couple uh, rapid fire questions sure. i think people kind of like like those so we'll uh i'll ask you a couple of those and then we'll uh we'll sign off so if you have one today or all time who would you say is your favorite athlete doesn't have to be in jiu-jitsu
0: mm-hmm. Oh, man, these rapid-fire questions are never rapid-fire for me. Uh, <laughs> True. Man, uh, I don't know. I mean, in jiu-jitsu, recently, it's been, like, uh, Mergali a lot. I just really like his, his well-roundedness of his game and Lucas Lepre a lot. Um, Tommy and Aspen's game was a huge influence on me, like, thinking about jiu-jitsu. Uh, in sports as a whole, uh, I really liked um, – What sport? Oh, wrestling. What's the guy who did the low single? Why can't I think of his name? It was the John guy who got Stan. in my John, John Smith. Thank like, you. Yeah, I was like, John, yeah. John Smith. Yeah. Yeah. I really oh, like man, John awesome. Smith. Yeah. John Smith in wrestling, you know, just listening to him talk about inventing the low single and, you know, his philosophy on training. You know, he's talked a lot about flow wrestling and stuff as well. So, really like that. Um, outside of that, I don't know. I can't really think of a ton.
1: No, that's that's awesome. Like John Smith is uh, is amazing. That it's funny because I definitely caught on to him too, probably a year or so ago when I was doing like a real deep dive in wrestling. It, hmm. it, it's true; these are never these are never quick. <laughs> but yeah. um, but I would I would suggest anyone that if you're interested in learning wrestling and like actually understanding it look up John Smith on YouTube. He has entire practices recorded where you can watch it and he, you're watching him break the drills down for his students. Like I had, I had never really heard someone talk about wrestling like that. And it just helped my entire understanding of like, what am I supposed to be doing when I'm trying to take this guy down? So he's the man. Yeah. I want to check that out too. (laughs) Now, What's uh, what's the last show that you enjoyed or kind of got into last TV show? Do you watch shows? Hmm.
0: Yeah, it was just, I mean, it's not like a big show that I watched a bunch, but I watched this one. It was called, uh, uh, was it like famous in France or big in France? It was just about a French comedian, uh, G- uh, God, uh, Gad, or whatever, who, uh, he's an actual fr- famous French comedian, but he uh, he came to America, I guess, to try to reunite with his son, and then he's like, like trying to tell everyone he's famous, but like no one cares because he's from France and no one in America cares or knows about anyone who's famous in France. So he just keeps and like every step. He's like, oh, say God, and then he's like trying to show the video of him like on stage, and just no one cares. But that, I thought <laughs> it was pretty funny. It wasn't like a a super serious uh, series that I really liked. But as far as series, I really liked. I like a lot of like dark stuff. I really liked like Fargo. Uh, those were really good. I like the True Detective series, Breaking Bad. All of those were awesome.
1: Nice. What's currently your favorite technique? What are you working on or what are you trying to develop?
0: Mm, uh, Well, my back's been hurt the last month, so I haven't got to train a lot. Uh, Obviously, I was doing a ton of matrixes for a bit. Now I've been starting to get into the deep lasso a bit. That's been pretty fun because I used to never use that, but now I've kind of found a place where I feel like it fits in my game. Uh, I've also been playing uh, quite a bit with this... um, idea of doing like not double sleeve, but one sleeve and one wrist or one sleeve and the hand, because like, I'll be playing with like a shallow lasso with like my left side. Uh, and then one thing that happens a lot is the person tries to kill your right leg by either grabbing your ankle or your foot, uh, or your pant leg. And sometimes when you grab the sleeve, you can't really pull their hand off because it's got such a good grip, but I find if I just hover my right hand by my, uh, ankle. Uh, I can actually grab their wrist and rip it off. And you can always break the grip when you have the wrist or I can even get all four fingers. And when you get all four fingers, it's almost impossible for them to get their hand out without deadlifting. So then when they deadlift, it actually like uh, frees your right leg to go do it a bunch of different attacks. So I've actually been able to combine that with quite a lot of interesting combos. So I think it's going to be a very interesting thing as developing this like sleeve and wrist uh, style or sleeve and hand style. So that, that's been kind of fun. But outside of that, it's like the deep lasso and a lot of bolos and matrix.
1: Nice. Cool. Yeah. No, that's the that's the awesome thing about Jitsu. It's just endless. There's always gonna be something Yeah, it's always on. evolving. What about this one? This is a new question that I've added. What's your this might stump you too, but it's what's your if you could make one personal kind of dream match, you could select two competitors that you could see them go at it and you could select the whatever rule set you wanted. It could be anybody and they're not allowed to say no, who do you want to see in a match?
0: Ooh. Um, yeah, I would like to see, like, uh, lightweight Leandro fight, uh, like, Mendez. Nice. Yeah, I would have liked to see
1: lightweight Leandro versus Hoffa Mendez. Yeah, there's so many good matchups that we potentially could have seen. Like, I mean, it'd be amazing to see Hoffa against uh, Lucas LaPree. That's one I've thought about a lot, too. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, that was amazing to see. What about if uh what what's one of your toughest competition matches? What ones that comes to mind that was maybe you won or lost, but it was like you're like that was a that was one of my tougher competition experiences.
0: Um, oh maybe it was an event. I mean, me and Andres always had like big fights. Like uh Andres Bernofsky. Like uh he beat me in the worlds in like 2012, and then i him like four or five months later at like the Atlanta Open and he's such a dangerous competitor to fight like he's so so submission heavy and stuff so he was always like a really scary tough opponent and also a, such an awesome dude so he's like a really good friend of mine now but uh, yeah yeah, he's always uh, Andres to fight. Is,
1: yeah Andres is cool I got to I actually did get to train with him 2020 in january just before this pandemic started i went down with a friend and we were there for a couple classes and it's it's funny it's a small world like he actually he remembered me from that blue belt match that you talked about with liara because him and liara, oh, really uh, would have been teammates yeah at some point and he was like yeah i remember you uh, he's like i was uh by liara's dad when that match happened or whatever and he he's he, like you said he's the man i got to roll with him and he he just totally killed dude, me but uh, dude Anders he's
0: so, cool. he's so good now like his his stack pass is just terrible it's the worst stack pass I've ever experienced. Like I mean, I've rolled with a lot of big guys too, you know, by far Andres stack pass is the worst.
1: Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll give my uh, story for this one just to give you some time to think, but I'll ask you if you have a favorite story involving Array. because Array, people that might not know, he was also, uh, I mean, he's one of the founders of Alliance. So when I went to Atlanta, we were really just really hyped on Cabrini being there. Jacques Ray was also there teaching too. But one thing I remember that was kind of funny is that um, so we were there for six weeks. We got to know him, you know, fairly well, and everybody loved him at the gym. But one funny thing that happened was he had a bit of a of a health scare. I can't remember exactly what it was. Yeah. That's not the funny part, but but basically he was gone for a couple days and then he came back and then everyone at the gym, I was there in the class. They gave him a big standing ovation when he came in and you could tell he was, you know, like he was happy. He was kind of touched by it. But then there were so many people at the gym that like it's not the same people in every single class, and we were going to every class because that's what we were there for. So the guy must have got like ten or twelve standing ovations in a row from all the <laughs> classes, <laughs> and you could oh, just tell God. by like the the fourth or fifth one he was just annoyed when people would start clapping. He's like he'd already been there, he'd already had his moment. So I just remember just getting a getting a, a kick out of that, just well, seeing him just, uh, just be, be frustrated yeah. with uh, with people clapping for him. But uh, do you have any any funny Ray moments I mean, all
0: the in. really good ones i don't feel like i could say on the podcast uh, <laughs> uh man yeah he's he's hilarious i love that guy I, I miss him a lot i wish i could i need to go see him or something when i'm in la he's no longer in atlanta he i think he retired from that and he moved out to
1: california or something if anything comes to mind maybe just just throw it in but so where so where are you now people may not know like you said you started training in st louis and now yeah are, so are you, are you i'm uh, now.
0: Yeah, I'm in Gothenburg, Sweden. I just got my permanent residency, so now I'm here full-time. Uh, and then I am yeah, basically here for the foreseeable future. I got uh, really, you know, with my back being injured the last, like a couple months, you know, it's just, I was trying to get back to serious competition. I was training with Tommy and Espen in Norway and then I got a back injury again. So I'm really gonna try to get back to comp as soon as I can. I'm doing a lot, I'm really focusing on a lot of rehab and mobility stuff now. But like, I just kind of realized in the long term, the main thing is really going to be being a good coach and focusing on my students. Because like, even if I get my back back together and then I can go compete and win a world title still five, 10 years from now, it's going to be about the students. So I'm really focusing a lot on trying to build a really serious competition team here now. We got Espen visiting August 9th to 20th. So we're going to have a lot of great training and like, I'm really excited about it. So definitely keep an eye out on the competition scene. We're going to have a lot of killers coming up soon. Nice.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome, man. I feel like I'm kind of going through the same thing too, where it's like, you know, I still want to compete, but I'm starting to realize that it's, that's not going to be what I'm probably known for or remembered for. And it's just something I feel like I, I have a good handle on putting classes together and, and presenting good information for students. And I know you're, you're in the same same boat. But yeah. but yeah, man, I know lots of people enjoy your approach and your, your thoughts on the sport. You got a lot of great wisdom. You've uh, you've been a great mentor for me. We're definitely lucky Thanks, that folks. you chose uh, jiu jitsu as your passion. And um, where uh, where should people go to find more of your stuff?
0: Oh yeah you can check me out on uh john thomas bjj youtube john thomas bjj on instagram uh as well as i have a new website now that's uh i just put out some free basic content sometimes on youtube it's hard to make like really organized things because of the the way youtube's set up and the algorithm so on the website i can just put up free courses on like double sleeve on like passing color sleeve and things like that that's www.johnthomasbj.com i put the link somewhere um, and then I'll be putting up more stuff on there soon as well. But yeah, so that's more or less it.
1: Awesome, man. Well, I know I'll definitely be, be watching whatever comes up next. I, I started to get into that podcast that you did with Connor and I, I hope you do more of those going forward. I just, um, yeah, you know.
0: I think I'm definitely going to, I might, uh, try to just do it in audio format. I think the video is really cool, but I feel like it just adds so much of an extra layer. So maybe I'll just have something on the audio on the side.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, uh, I love doing it this way. I don't, I don't think people need to see my face they just need to hear hear yeah, our voices for sure. <laughs> but thanks a lot man I really appreciate you doing this and um and yeah I think that that pretty much covers it but I uh, hope to chat with you again uh, sometime privately or on, on here again people love hearing from you so so thanks thanks a lot John I really appreciate
0: this. No problem. Thank you but take care bro. Bye. Bye.